Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson. Thank you so much for listening. Um, today we're going to be talking about uh, Cyrus uh, Nowerstay's Infidel, in keeping with a, a new series on movies that nobody has seen and very few people can see. Um, it's, I don't know why I'm doing this. Uh, the last episode was about words on bathroom walls, which admittedly both of these films are available in theaters right now, but I also recognize that people uh, aren't super comfortable in going to theaters, which is understandable. And in some parts of the country, uh, theaters aren't even open yet. So, uh, you know, it's pretty much a guarantee that, uh, that this is going to be a low, a lower rated episode, but, uh, but that's fine with me. Um, because, uh, I, I, so I was sent a screener of this film, Infidel, and uh, and I watched it and felt compelled to do an episode about it. So just like uh, just like any other film, uh, whether you can see it or not, whether it's old or new, um, if I feel compelled, then I will do an episode. Um, but in the meantime, you can actually read uh, a review of the film written by guest writer Kevin McCreary, um, who was recently on the show and I was on his show a while back. And then also there are reviews of Get Duked and uh, Bill and Ted Face the Music, both written by Bob Connolly. So you can find those at morethanonelesson.com. And then you can also check out my documentary, Real Redemption, The Rise of Christian Cinema at Faith Life TV. And uh, I would really appreciate if you did that, uh, to be honest with you, because... Uh, I actually want to make uh, another film uh, that is uh, sort of similar in structure, but notably different. And so the more people watch Real Redemption, uh, the more likely that the good folks at Faith Life will greenlight uh, another project. So you can go to Faith Life TV. You can get a two-week free trial. Check out Real Redemption. Then maybe head on over and watch my uh, my series, uh, Faith and Filmmaking. And uh, yeah, that's that would really help me a lot. And uh, and I would also be interested in, in your thoughts on the documentary. But in the meantime, uh, we will go ahead and talk about uh, Infidel. So Infidel is kind of a weird, it's kind of a weird movie, uh, not the film itself, but just the, the fact of it, because it, on many levels, it would appear to be sort of a faith-based film, but it's not exactly that, or at least not only that. It is one of the things that people have been talking about, and understandably so, is that one of the executive producers of the film and, uh, Maybe the the primary like financial uh, component behind it is uh, Dinesh D'Souza, who is a conservative uh, commentator, and uh, I've watched debates, I've watched speeches of his, I I listened to an audio book of his, 
and he's very interesting and he's very intelligent, but he is a pundit just like everybody else. And so like a lot of other uh, conservatives, he has very strong opinions about the media and what the media uh, represents from a political standpoint. And I would say, by and large, I tend to agree with him. Uh, and so when you see that this is a film that is put out uh, pretty much by him, even though he's not officially the director, uh, it definitely gets your attention. And I do think that based on what a lot of people have written, whether they be critics or uh, or just, you know, regular viewers um, who leave like user comments and stuff. Um, I think a lot of people went in with their with their defenses up when they when they see something like that, which again is is understandable uh, because something that you know, similar to faith based film, uh, you will occasionally get a a uh, sort of a conservative backed movie that is often a response or one could say a reaction to what they see coming out of Hollywood. And as such, that kind of that sort of dictates what the movies are going to be, uh, if nothing else, tonally, um, which is to say they want to try and be everything that Hollywood is not. And that is one of that is one of the problems that I have with this movie, uh, Infidel. But the uh, the story is of a a Christian blogger, and I think he also works in software. Um, and his name is Doug Rollins. He's played by Jim Caviezel, who's been uh, an actor for in Hollywood for many years, uh, most notably uh, playing Jesus in The Passion of the Christ. But since then, he was in uh, Person of Interest. Uh, he was also in The Thin Red Line. He was in Frequency. He's a very good actor. Um, and uh, albeit one that uh, maybe quite possibly because of his involvement in The Passion of the Christ, I think he never quite got the profile that he might have otherwise. It's hard to say. But uh, anyway, so he plays Doug Rollins and then uh, Claudia Carvan. Carvan uh, plays his wife, Liz, and they have, the, as the film starts, um, they have a, a friend, they live uh, here in the United States, and they have a friend who is Muslim, and he's a practicing Muslim, and he jokingly refers to Doug and as, uh, as an infidel. And then there is a, a discovery that maybe this friend does have extremist leanings, and uh, Doug and Liz find that to be a little bit strange, but uh, they just sort of leave it. And then Doug is invited to go to Cairo for a uh, sort of a summit. And while he is there, he is invited onto a TV program where he talks about his faith and the similarities between that, or not similarities, but the commonalities between Christianity and Islam. And there seems to be this moment where he feels kind of called to talk about the differences, namely um, who he believes Jesus to be, uh, which is to which is to say he believes Jesus is God, and this uh, riles up the the studio audience, and it would appear it riles up uh, the the media in Cairo until finally uh, Doug is actually abducted by um, some some radical Muslims who then, I think, transport him to uh, Iran and uh, hold him there on, on trumped-up charges of possibly being in the CIA because his wife works for the State Department, so they think that it's a function of that, and maybe uh, he was partially behind uh, the investigation into his friend back home for being uh, uh, an extremist. So so that's the that's the basic 
story. And a lot of it comes down to um, Doug's captor uh, play, uh, named Ramsey, played by uh, a British actor named Hal uh, Ozan, who is easily and by far the best part of the movie. I mean, you look at any review, any written review of this movie, and whether it's positive or negative, everybody says that this character played by this actor is is a, a, a highlight. And even when the review is is negative, everybody says like this is this is really something special. This character played by uh, Hal Ozan. So, uh, so the film is not without its quality, but there is a lot. <laughs> it's carrying a lot of weight. This film. Um, so much so that I think it actually begins to buckle under the weight and the film kind of falls apart because while it would seem to be a situation where Doug is in trouble because he was sharing his faith, which, you know, is the faith based aspect of this film. There is also the, the fact that Liz, his wife is back home trying to figure out how do I get my, my husband back and the, the, the United States government doesn't really seem that interested in helping her because it doesn't want to make waves over in the Middle East. Uh, and then elsewhere you have, uh, you have a, a, a lawyer who is crying Islamophobia when, uh, when Doug's friend back home is being investigated for, uh, Islamic extremism. And so there, there does seem to be, um, an element, a political element to the way the story unfolds and some of the lines of dialogue suggesting that, uh, as is pretty, st- uh, kind of a standard conservative talking point, which is that, um, that in the United States, there, <laughs> there are people that are very soft on like radical Islam, um, because they're so worried about offending somebody, or they're so worried about appearing Islamophobic that they actually let countries like uh, Iran get away with, with things. And like I said, that's a fairly common conservative talking point. I myself am politically conservative, as many of you know, and I would say that in some ways I tend to agree with that, but only to a point. Uh, you know, one of the things that, that does bother me is, you know, uh, as of the recording right now, I have not seen the Netflix movie, the devil all the time, but, uh, based on what I've heard, it is a film that is, um, that is, uh, critical of religion and critical of people who would, uh, use religion to essentially subsidize or justify their own selfish actions. And, you know, that's a perfectly fine movie to make, but what are the odds? It's all about, you know, Southern American Christianity. And it's one of those things where it's like, oh yeah, that's really, uh, uh, that's really hard hitting. Uh, hopefully you can hear the sarcasm in my voice because I do think that it's bashing Christianity is tremendously safe. Um, you might anger some people, but you're probably not going to be in any kind of real danger. Nobody is going to, nobody in the media. And I realize that the media is, you know, to say it like that. I mean, it suggests that it's one monolithic thing, but, uh, you know, you're not going to get a lot of like film critics saying like, Ooh, you gotta be careful. You can't, you don't want to, you don't want to offend those Christians. Like nobody, nobody cares about that. Um, which is understandable because Christianity is the dominant religion in the United States. So when people think in terms of like punching up, you know, when you're in the United States, if, uh, if you want to make fun of religion, uh, you're not going to make fun of, uh, 
sort of a minority religion because that would be seen as punching down. So you, you punch a Christianity. So I understand that to a certain extent, but at the same time, uh, worldwide, um, there is a lot of really horrible things happening and there's a lot of horrible things happening to Christians in other countries. Um, I think I saw a while back in Newsweek, um, an article talking about how from a religion, you know, on, on a worldwide scale, uh, Christianity is the most oppressed religion. Um, but obviously in the United States, you don't really run across that very much, regardless of what they might say uh, in the God's Not Dead movies. But uh, but anyway, so there's, you know, so Infidel brings all of this in um, to the story. So you have an American uh, Christian writer being held in Iran uh, for these charges about him being in the CIA, but we kind of assume it's simply because he publicly professed a non-Muslim faith in a Muslim context. And, uh, and so Liz, his wife, as she goes, she actually travels to Iran to try to find him and she's clearly out of her depth. Um, and actually those scenes are some of the best scenes in the film, partially because the actress does such a great job. But one thing that she discovers is that in Iran, there is like an underground uh, organization of Christians and that this this organization is essentially run by women um, who ha- feel they have been oppressed in a in a Muslim regime. And so they turn to Christianity, which does uh, have a sense of liberation uh, for for women as opposed to other uh, older religions. And so this organization helps Liz. But what's interesting to me is the fact of that organization, which apparently is based on real, a real thing. That's fascinating to me. That's a movie I want to see as opposed to them just kind of showing up when they need to making their presence known so that they can then help Liz. Um, and you know, I, I do understand that this is something that does happen, uh, in other countries in countries like North Korea, Iran, China, that sort of thing. But, you know, there's a there's a director named Edward Zwick who um, has made some very good movies. Um, he made Glory. He made um, The Last Samurai. He made Blood Diamond. He's a very capable filmmaker. But if you if you are noticing a theme in those movies, it's these are the stories of non-white characters as told by white leads, you know, whether it be glory with, you know, a, an African-American uh, uh, unit in the Civil War, but it's told primarily from their commanding officer played by Matthew Broderick. And then when, with The Last Samurai, you have one white character played by Tom Cruise going to to Asia and and witnessing this other culture and then with blood diamond you have of course the the horrendous uh diamond diamond mining um industry and the and the violence that can happen as a result as witnessed by leonardo dicaprio in all of these instances um, the non-white actor uh is nominated for supporting actor and in some cases wins in the case of uh, denzel washington for glory but uh you know, and I understand that the audience that those movies are for are is predominantly white. And so, you know, they use I think it's in some ways it's kind of smart for Edward Zwick to have his main character be white sort of as a bridge from the audience to this other culture that maybe they're not that familiar with. But I do think that it does have a kind of 
it does have kind of a detrimental effect almost like unconsciously which suggests that what this what this other culture is going through isn't quite isn't as important as our awareness of it and how we interpret it and so i do think that when you get something like infidel to me if you just told a story if you just told the story of these you know ex muslim now christian women um, who are still living in secret in, in Iran like that to me that's your story like that's a fascinating story that I would love to hear you know it reminds me of of the God's Not Dead series where there is a character who is Chinese and has come over to the United States to study and he becomes a Christian but his father is still back in China and is not happy at the at the notion of his son becoming a Christian and then his son says I actually want to go back to China and be a missionary well that's tremendously dangerous and to me it's like well there's your story that's what we should be following not to suggest that that a white american christian story is not worth telling but when you're when you're using that to sort of enter into this this larger conversation of worldwide oppression like genuine real dangerous lethal oppression um after a while, it's like, well, now I'm less interested in the the white uh, American character's story because that is that is something that does happen, but it doesn't happen that often. As opposed to the people that are in the thick of this, and they're not going to have somebody coming in to rescue them. They have to take care of themselves, and are perpetually at risk of being captured, imprisoned, and probably killed. So, I think that's that's one of the problems that I have just from a from the story that the director is choosing to tell and you know in the end you have to you have to judge the film that is there not the one that you wish were there but I also because he incorporates this other element but doesn't really delve into it more than anything I just feel like oh but that's the that's the thing that intrigues me like I want to see like this is undoubtedly costing these people in Iran like it's it's costing them a great deal and I want to hear more about that um, but that's neither here nor there. I do think it's a, I do think it's a, it's a, a flaw that he really only uses that group as a sort of story device or a plot device, um, to help Liz and Doug, as opposed to allowing them to be full fledged characters. So, so that's one of my, one of my problems with the film, but what I will say to keep things positive, um, you know, this director, he's made movies before he made the young Messiah. He made the stoning of Soraya M like he is a, he's an experienced and capable director. This is a film that's pretty well shot and well edited and, and for the most part, pretty well acted though. I'll get to Jim Caviezel in a moment because I actually don't think his performance is that good, at least not at first. Um, and also, this is a film that, I mean, this is an R-rated film. You hear a lot of profanity. You do see a fair amount of, of violence. Um, you know, that's something that when people talk about faith-based film, something that they often say is that these movies are way too sanitized, that they don't live, that, that the characters of these movies live in like a, a G or PG-rated uh, reality, which the rest of us don't live in. And so you get to something like this, which is dealing with international intrigue and, and, 
you know, in some cases you could say terrorism or extremism, whatever it is, there's going to be at the very least some pretty heavy profanity in there. And it really, it, I appreciated that it rings true. I feel like I'm actually watching, um, this, of uh, this event unfold as it probably would in the world we live in. Um, I remember, uh, many years ago, my family went to see Crimson Tide in the theater. So I guess that's 25 years ago now, which is crazy to think about. But uh, if you're not familiar with Crimson Tide, it's a marvelous film. It's not the companion film, but it is a marvelous movie uh, directed by Tony Scott and stars Denzel Washington and Gene Hackman. And it's about uh, a power struggle on board a nuclear sub. It's a marvelous movie, wonderfully written, wonderfully acted uh, with a fair amount of profanity. And I remember my mom gave me a tremendous gift as we were all driving home after the movie. And she was talking about the, the profanity in the film and saying like that she didn't really care for it. And then she paused and she said something to the effect of, but you know what? I guess if I were in that position, I'd probably be swearing too. And what she did is she contextualized it for me, which is like, this is a high stress situation in which everybody on board is, is a, a member of the military. And so like they've, they've experienced far worse things than the occasional swear word, you know? And so this is, that is maybe not that big of a deal for them. And so I always appreciated that my mom, uh, sort of inadvertently allowed me to understand that in that every film has its own reality and each character has their own experience and that I shouldn't require a character or a movie to adhere to my moral principles. And so, uh, and that's something that I appreciate about infidel is that it's, it's trying to take the, the world as it is, which, uh, which, um, you know, I, I do, I don't know how the film is doing at the box office. I do know that there are some people that were very excited about seeing it, like conservatives and Christians and, and, uh, and they seem willing to, they seem willing to accept the profanity because they under, because first off, I think the presence of Dinesh D'Souza allows them to understand that the intent of the movie is actually uh, would seem to be something that they are in sympathy with. And so they're willing to forgive it some things, which tends to be a problem for me. Um, but we'll get to that in a moment. Um, but yeah, so there's a infidel has a lot going for it technically. Um, and in its willingness to just like really address the topic at hand, I do think that the, it does have some some technical flaws, some acting flaws, and then some thematic flaws because I think it's trying to do too much and winds up doing not enough. But uh, what I will say is that Jim Caviezel, as Doug, it's so fascinating to watch him in this film because, you know, there comes a moment where he is abducted and he's imprisoned and he's tortured and you know, he's dealing with some pretty intense stuff. And in those moments, I think Jim Caviezel does a great job. But what's fascinating is that the performance he is giving up to that point, like when he's not really in any danger at all, when he's back home talking with his wife, making jokes, whatever, he, the performance he's giving is very odd. It's, it's strangely intense, even at a time when his character wouldn't necessarily be feeling that intensity. Uh, it just feels like he has the weight of the world on his, on his shoulders at all times. And it feels like Jim Caviezel is playing, is playing the, the overall theme of the film, even before the story catches up to it. And so like in the scene where he finally does, um, where he, he's, he's, uh, 
on the talk show in Cairo. And you, you can tell there's a moment where he realizes like, you know what, I think I need to be honest about my beliefs. And he's a little bit conflicted. And I totally get that. But the way that he plays it, it's like he doesn't like that he is saying this, that he almost bemoans the fact that Jesus was God. Um, and I, again, like, I think he's playing it with a certain degree of hesitance, but also playing it with such like, sw- you know, sweating blood intensity um, that it just kind of takes me out of it. And it also doesn't leave his character a lot, a lot of places to go emotionally once things really get intense. Um, and that really surprised me. I, I, uh, when I think of Jim Caviezel, I think of him as a very intuitive and reliable actor. And again, once, once things, once the plot really kicks in, I think he does a perfectly fine job, but up until then it's, I, he just looks lost. Like he just doesn't know how to play a normal guy in normal circumstances. It's very strange. Um, and then I do, I do want to talk again about Hal Ozan who plays, uh, uh, Ramsey or Ramsey. Uh, man, this is a really well-written character. Um, because the character is British, but he is um, he is Muslim, and he is uh, part of Hezbollah, and he is willing to do whatever he has to do to um, to enforce his beliefs, often on other people. And you know that is all. That's something that's not very sympathetic, and yet the way that the the actor plays him, and also the way the character is written, it actually gives him like he's very charismatic, which actually can make him a little bit more villainous at times. But he's often kind of sympathetic, and you get the impression that he is a little bit sympathetic towards Doug, not necessarily in his beliefs, but in his conviction. And to me, I think that's that's one of the one of the problems of the film is that like the film crackles when you have Doug and Ramsey together, like when they're really talking and you don't really get much of that. You get some of it enough to realize like, this is the heart of your film. Uh, having these two guys talk about their conflicting beliefs, um, and their willingness to spread that belief in some way, shape or form. I feel like that's granted, you, you know, you clearly they didn't want to make a thriller that is just two guys talking. But to me, it's like, you know, when people talk about Silence of the Lambs, what are this? What's the stuff they talk about? They tend to talk about Hannibal Lecter and Clarice Starling sitting and talking with each other, and of course feeling each other out the whole time because they're on opposite sides of the law. And I feel like that's something Infidel really could have been. You know, when people talk about The Dark Knight, one of the one of the scenes they talk about is the Joker and Batman simply talking. Same with uh, Michael Mann's Heat, where you have Al Pacino and Robert De Niro just sitting and talking. And so having people who are on opposite sides really delve into what what similarities they have, but also the differences they have, that tends to be something that people are really can be really electrifying to an audience. And I think with these two actors, again, like I, I talk about what Jim Caviezel is doing, in my opinion, wrong in the beginning of the film, but once everything catches up to him, um, I think he's doing a great job. And so if, if they, I feel like if they had really focused on these two characters and allowed them to have some in-depth discussions about this, I feel like this could, this film really could have been impactful. But as it is, uh, the film winds up being, this is what I was talking about, it winds up being so reactive to Hollywood, the way Hollywood treats Christian faith, uh, the way Hollywood does not treat, uh, you know, the Muslim faith. 
and you know treating it with kit gloves whereas you know uh taking swipes at christianity whenever it can and so as a result you have this 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 aspect of the film where it's kind of at war with itself because if it were trying to simply be uh, a juxtaposition juxtaposition of these two different faiths then i think uh you would find it would it would arrive at a very different place than it does um i'm going to spoil the film for you so i'm sorry about that uh, i don't necessarily think that this spoiler would keep you from enjoying the film but this is to me like the essence of what i am talking about so the film ends in a, in very much a thriller kind of way where doug has been broken out of jail along with a, a number of other uh prisoners and uh ramsey and a few other guards like chase him uh through the city and then he arrives at, uh, I believe, like an embassy, and there's a helicopter waiting to take him and his wife and some other people away. And Ramsey and his and his uh, soldiers, there's just a couple of them, they're on one side of the gate, Doug is on the other side of the gate, and then Ramsey uh, throws a grenade. And it lands, and the, the film kind of goes into slow motion, um, and then the music and like the sound kind of dies down and it just and this sort of synthesized music comes in and you see the look on Doug's face and everything about what the movie is doing at that point stylistically and up to this point thematically everything tells you that Doug is going to jump on that grenade to keep it from hurting his wife, to keep it from hurting these other people, and his, and so he's willing to sacrifice himself. Because a big part of the movie uh, up to this point is Ramsey talking to Doug and saying, we, meaning Muslims, we're not afraid to die, that's why we'll win. And then Doug responds with, I'm not afraid to die either. So it's like you have these two, these two groups saying, I'm not afraid to die. Um, and so, and then you have Doug in this position of sacrificing himself to to save the people that he loves. And to me, and it's not merely that he's in that position. The film really seems to convince us that he's going to do that. Instead, he grabs the grenade and throws it back. You know, while it's still live, so he could hurt himself. But he grabs it and throws it back over the fence. It explodes and kills Ramsey and his and his two, uh, you know, uh, fellow soldiers. And then uh, Doug comes out and sees that Ramsey's still kind of twitching and stuff. So he leans down and like holds his hand, and it's supposed to be this nice moment. But what it really seems to be to me is a film is the film trying to have its cake and eat it too so let me explain as i've said i am politically conservative but one thing that i'm perpetually frustrated by if not straight up infuriated by is the way a lot of my fellow christians approach film um it is not at all uncommon to to have fellow conservatives say that film is, that movies are just entertainment and that's it um, and that the role of a movie is to um, praise good and punish evil. And, and they, they tend to talk about things in very, very black and white terms. Uh, that films, that, that movies, especially in the United States, should reflect the values of the United States, the Ju Judeo-Christian values of the United States. 
And there is this tendency, um, you know, when you, if you were to ask somebody who's maybe not necessarily a movie person, but they do like movies and they tend to be, again, if they tend to be right leaning, there is an emphasis on, they like men of action, you know, um, men like dirty Harry or what's his name? Paul Kersey from death wish. Um, and just, you know, and, and they like war movies because war is not merely about action, but it's about men of action and just the idea of, of, of men like banding together to vanquish the obviously evil enemy. And obviously I realize I'm painting with a broad brush, but at the same time, I feel somewhat comfortable doing so because, um, I'm not talking from the outside. Uh, I am a conservative and I love movies and I talk movies with a lot of people, including other conservatives. And I'm often frustrated by the very small box that they tend to put movies in. Um, another example is, uh, the movie hell or high water, which is a movie I love. Uh, but when it came out, there are a lot of conservatives who compared it somewhat understandably to no country for old men. And they said that no country for old men is like, well, it ends really weird. And you know, they, they, they kind of say like, oh, it's really good up to a certain point, And then like it gets weird. And I, you know, as opposed to hell or high water, which just stays like this as this like two fisted story of like Texas justice. Again, I love hell or high water. We did an episode about it, just like we did an episode about no country for old men. But you know, you have these two movies about like uh, modern Texas Westerns, but one of them is a lot more philosophical and the other is a lot more black and white. And unsurprisingly, a lot of conservative commentators came down loving the black, the, the more black and white, you know, two fisted version as opposed to the odd philosophical version. So all that is to say. The reason that I don't view this film purely as a faith-based movie and more as a conservative movie is is in that moment where Doug has the uh, opportunity to throw himself on the grenade, sacrificing himself while Ramsey witnesses it, while his enemy who says, I'm not afraid to die, implying you are, when he sees that Doug is is willing to die to save the people that he loves. like. That is a very self-sacrificing, one could say, Christian way of looking at that story. That is the way that story ends, and again, the way the movie seems to be setting it up. But that's not the kind of action that we're looking for, you know. As uh, when I say we, sorry, I mean conservatives, not necessarily me as a conservative, but like we tend to like. It's like no, if that happens, then that means the villain isn't punished. How is that appropriate? So no, we need to find a way so that Doug becomes a sort of action hero, uh, is is bold enough to pick up a live grenade, but then throw it at the villain, killing the villain. But we still need to have a moment where he like holds the villain's hand to show that he is Christ-like in that way. Meanwhile, Christ and Jesus. Christ didn't kill anybody, uh, and then hell and then hold their hand quite the opposite. He died, uh, on his own to save other people. And so I think this is, you know, I, I, I want, I realize that, uh, there might be some people who are right leaning and they hear this and they, and they feel like I'm being kind of hard on conservatives who like movies. Chances are, if you're listening to this podcast, that doesn't apply to you, nor does it apply to me. Um, I, I realize I'm painting with a broad brush, but Frankly, I think the movie is too. I think the movie is trying so hard to be a response or again, a reaction to 
the way Hollywood talks about conservatism, the way it talks about Islam, the way it talks about Christianity, it's trying to address all of those. And in doing so, it winds up being kind of in conflict with each other. Um, and that's not to suggest that the values of conservatism conflict naturally with the values of Christianity. I don't believe that at all. Otherwise, I wouldn't be a conservative Christian myself. But I do think when it comes to art, um, trying to cater to a, a conservative audience while also espousing a, a Christian message, uh, I don't think that's going to work. Because once again, when I was talking about Dirty Harry or um, Death Wish or something like that, these are these are men who, who have <laughs> disdain for the law and are willing to take the law into their own hands, often killing people. Um, and that is something that's, you know, again, conservatives kind of like, they like those men of action, but that really doesn't fit with what we know uh, of Jesus. And so, yeah, there's, I think that's the thing that, that ultimately bothers me about the movie, um, is that I think it winds up undercutting whatever Christian message Doug might be trying to convey to other people, to himself and to the audience, because it wants to try to cater to its audience that feels underserved by Hollywood politically um, and maybe even, you know, uh, looked down upon by Hollywood. And so uh, one thing that I wanted to talk about, the, the companion film is a movie that, you know what, up until relatively recently, a movie I didn't necessarily love, but I think is I think I watched it too young. I think I understand it a little bit more now as I've gotten older, and that is Roland Joffe's The Mission from 1986, a movie that at some point we very well could just do uh, an episode all on its own. Um, but it's a movie that I didn't really care for when I first saw it uh, many, many years ago. Um, but as I've gotten older, I realized like, oh, this is a movie all about... Um, so I'll I'll read very quickly just the, the, the IMDb summary, which is 18th century Spanish Jesuits try to protect a remote South American tribe in danger of falling under the rule of pro-slavery Portugal. So that's that sums it up. And our two main characters are played by Robert De Niro and Jeremy Irons. Jeremy Irons is this Jesuit priest who is, you know, essentially a missionary in this South American uh, area. And then uh, Robert De Niro is a former slave trader who actually has converted to Christianity, but he still is a man of action, whereas Jeremy Irons is a man of peace. And so they're trying to protect this tribe, both spiritually and, you know, literally from this very aggressive um, militant force from Portugal. And these two men have very different views about how to do that, uh, rooted in where they come from. Rob De Niro is very much a man of action because that's what, that's what his life was before he became a Christian. And then Jeremy Irons is very much a man of turning the other cheek because he's a Jesuit priest and that's where he came from. And so you have these two guys that are, um, that are essentially debating the best way to go about helping this tribe. And the debates are both men have, have a, have a point, um, which is like, yes, obviously we should try to save people's souls first and, and try to protect people if we can, but we also don't want to be overly aggressive or overly violent or whatever, because that might actually undercut what we're trying to do with people spiritually. But then Robert De Niro's character says, 
Yes, but at the same time, if everyone's dead, then we can't really do anything anything for them then either. So uh, I think when I was younger, I think I I don't think I was fully ready to deal with that back and forth. But now as I've gotten older and as I've seen other films like, for example, um, Martin Scorsese's Silence, which really just talks about like the difficulty of implementing Christianity in a deeply broken, imperfect world. Um, and, and if it's possible to do more harm than good, even as you're trying to do good, like, you know, that it's, it's tough stuff. And I feel like the older you get, uh, trying to live out this belief system, I think the more you realize like, this is hard, this is a hard thing to do. Um, and I think in retrospect, I think I, I like the mission a lot more than I used to. Um, the film was nominated for multiple Oscars that year, including Best Picture, Director, Editing, Score. Uh, it won Best Cinematography. It is an excellent looking movie. Um, <clears throat> but there's a line here that I actually think is very interesting in which the, the character Gabriel, played by Jeremy Irons, he says, if might is right, then love has no place in the world. It may be so, it may be so, but I don't have the strength to live in a world like that. And that's rough, you know? I mean, like, there, is, there isn't an element that, like, yeah, if it's all about strength and power, and if, in the end, if that's the only thing that matters, then, then love is just going to be totally trampled. And who has the energy or the strength or the wherewithal to, to live in a world like that, to try to adapt to a world like that when we are as Christians trying to follow somebody who sacrificed himself. And, uh, and so I do think that there's a real, uh, a real complexity thematically to the mission that it is absolutely willing to deal with head on as opposed to infidel, which those two conflicting messages are there, but it doesn't seem to see any conflict in them because I think it takes, honestly, I think it takes the Christian aspect of conservative Christianity and it just absorbs it. Just assuming that, well, if you're a conservative Christian, then obviously you're going to want Doug to grab that grenade and throw it right back. And you know, unfortunately, at this point, I think Christianity is something that is politicized, um, not merely by the right, but also by the left. Uh, people have a tendency to uh, invoke Christianity only on their side, uh, not realizing where it occasionally will come into conflict with a certain platform or a certain political party. And I think that's one of the great things about Christianity is nobody can claim it exclusively as their own politically. Um, also one of the things that's frustrating about it, uh, in some ways, but, uh, but I did want to talk about this, this, this aspect of self-sacrifice, um, this thing that I don't think infidel is willing to fully embrace. Um, so I have, I have a few, uh, Bible verses here. These, these passages, they're a little bit, a uh, little bit longer. The first is Luke 22 verses 47 through 53. Uh, while he, the, he here being Jesus, while he was still speaking, a crowd came up and the man who was called Judas, one of the 12 was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the son of man with a kiss? When Jesus followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard and the elders who had come for him, am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? 
Every day I was with you in the temple courts and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. And so obviously, I mean, it's it's so fascinating because we hear these various accounts of, of Jesus and he was not, you know, uh, when the time came for him to, to die on the cross, he did not want to. Uh, because who would, you know, he, he prayed in the garden of Gethsemane, like let this cup pass for me. He was sweating. It says he was sweating blood, which is something that can only happen to the human body in uh, moments of extreme duress. And I think it's safe to say that he was under extreme duress. And then when he was on the cross, he said, why have you forsaken me speaking to, to God? Like this is not the action of somebody who's just super eager to, to die, uh, he would much rather stay on earth. Like that's the human side of him. He would rather stay on earth and continue doing good work. Um, but he also recognizes that there's something bigger going on and that he is going to need to die so that he can take his place, uh, at, at like establishing himself as God and man. Um, certainly he'd already done that, but that like makes it clear for everybody. And, and he's able to fulfill his role as, um, as the the sacrificial lamb for for everybody's sins that's getting into getting into the weeds a little bit um but yeah so here uh there are people who come up uh so he doesn't want to die and he realizes this is what's coming this is what's happening uh and when one of his followers reacts violently not only does he say no we we can't do that but he actually takes the time to heal the person that is coming to to get him um and it's actually one of my favorite moments in uh, The Passion of the Christ, a movie that by and large I don't really like that much, is when uh, Jesus heals this person by putting uh, his his ear back on. Uh, the, the guards take Jesus, everybody leaves, but that servant is just, is still sitting there on his knees, unbelieving that he has been healed in this way. It's a really nice moment. Um, and so uh, here's uh, Matthew 5, verses 38 through 40. Uh, you have heard it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard it you've heard it was said, love your enemy, sorry, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. So this is very much different than the standard American phrase, don't tread on me. And speaking as once again, as somebody who is not merely conservative, but leans libertarian, the don't tread on me uh, thing um, is something that I'm very much in favor of from a political standpoint. But I do also recognize that if somebody is persecuting you or me for our faith, like we have to really determine like how are we going to react in that instance certainly we just as jesus did like never stop professing what we believe to be true but it also doesn't mean that we uh actively uh try to kill those people or even hurt them uh in fact you know when when somebody did hurt another person on jesus behalf he took the time to heal that person and you know this is easier said than done i am someone who likes to be comfortable in every sense of the word, I like to be physically comfortable. I like to be emotionally comfortable, relationally comfortable. Uh, and so the idea of somebody disliking me, um, 
much, much less persecuting me, um, is something that I don't like to do, um, or a position I don't like to be in for my faith. And yet I'm called to, to be that I'm called to not give in to what somebody wants me to, but I'm also, uh, I also can't fight them too violently. Um, now I do think that there is such a thing as, you know, if somebody else is being hurt and I'm in a position of, of helping them, um, then I, I do think I have a responsibility to do that because that is a way of loving, uh, the, the afflicted. Um, but if it's just me, I need to really pray about that. I really need to pray about what sacrifice looks like. And if I am choosing to fight on my behalf, am I fighting from a place of personal pride or am I, am I fighting from a place of genuine righteousness? It's hard to say. Um, and I wanted to mention, I don't have a passage, uh, a passage here, but I wanted to talk about Saul. Saul was somebody who in the new Testament was persecuting Christians and he was, he was happy to do it. If anybody deserved to be uh, actively killed, it was Saul. But instead, God saw potential in him and met him on the road to Damascus and said, yeah, you're not you're not doing this anymore. So Saul changes his name to Paul and follows Christ. And it is a and and in in doing so is able to do tremendous things for God. Now imagine if if God had said, "Yeah, uh, enough of this guy. Let's just let's just smite him." Um, but no, I think God realizes that, uh, you know, in loving our enemies, it's not merely a way of 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 trying to demonstrate Christ likeness. It is actually possibly a way to change our enemies or change those that are witnessing this. And in the case of Saul, it genuinely changed him into a force for tremendous good. And so, uh, and in doing so, he himself became, uh, was, was imprisoned. And in 2 Timothy 2, verses 8 through 10, uh, Paul says, Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. You know, Jesus himself, I didn't incorporate this uh, passage, but Jesus himself said, I could, if I wanted to, call down angels to just destroy everybody that is trying to hurt me. But I recognize that sometimes my own sacrifice is is the important thing that that will actually achieve more than even destroying all of my enemies. And that's something that I think the movie infidel does not fully understand, or if it does, it doesn't try to play that out narratively. Uh, instead, I think it tries to, I'm reluctant to say this, but I think it's, I think it tries to score political points. I think it is pandering not to necessarily a Christian audience, but to a conservative audience. And again, I am politically conservative. I am not merely right-leaning. I am right-wing, like very much so. Um, but at the same time, I do feel like film and art are things that I find tremendously important, and I do understand that they are attempts at communication, attempts at getting to something under the surface, psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, and 
when a piece of art, there's nothing wrong with a piece of art being political. Plenty of great movies, uh, books, whatever have been made that have political purposes. Um, but they also have a very clear point of view. And I don't think infidel has as clear a point of view as it thinks it does. And I think in doing so it winds up actively undercutting, uh, whatever Christian messaging is there. And that really bums me out because they clearly have the budget. They have the, the will to make a movie that takes place in the very broken world that we live in. But it actually, I think, chooses to partake of that brokenness as opposed to shine a light within that brokenness. And I think that is what I find so frustrating about the movie. Um, but anyway, uh, there is a way to do it right. I think the mission does it right. I think there are plenty of other movies that really explore what it is to be a Christian in this kind of world. And it requires a lot more complexity and nuance than infidel is willing to delve into. And that is something that I find, um, sad and disappointing. And, you know, hopefully, hopefully the people that are being actively pandered to by infidel, hopefully they don't just gobble it up though. I think that they are. And I realize that even the way I'm talking about it sounds very condescending. I'm sorry about that. Um, very few things frustrate me more than when a group that I am a part of allows itself to be pandered to so flagrantly and is eager to, uh, to accept that. But, uh, anyway, uh, but if you're listening to this and if you've seen infidel, if you've seen the mission, I'd love to get your, your thoughts in the comments. Maybe I'm just being too, uh, too hard on the film because there is a lot of good in it, but I do think that uh, at its core, I think it, uh, it fumbles the ball a little bit. So anyway, um, yeah, I would love to hear your, your comments. You're always welcome to email me, Tyler at more than one lesson.com. I do appreciate your patience, uh, in regards to the feed. Uh, I don't know what on earth happened, but, uh, for some reason, our iTunes feed got all messed up because, uh, the RSS feed that I changed years ago, just reverted back to what it was. Um, which was, uh, had long since uh, been defunct, but, uh, but I, everything should be back on track. Now I do appreciate your continued patience. Um, you're always welcome to follow me on Twitter at more lessons, or you can like the page, uh, you can like us on Facebook, uh, under more than one lesson. So thank you everybody so much for listening. I really appreciate it. And we'll get you next time. Bye. <laughs>